the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Can I add my welcome to Jen and to Laura? And if I haven't met you in person over the past couple of uh, weeks, uh, Happy New Year to you. Um, It's lovely to see you all here this morning. Uh, Before Christmas, funnily enough, we went into our Christmas program. Uh, So we took a break from John's Gospel. But we're back in John's Gospel this morning, and we're we're at chapter 5. So if you've got a paper copy of the Bible, you might want to turn to it. If you've got it on your phone, you might want to scroll to it. I'll put everything on screen but you might want to just check it as well. Double check if you've got a Bible with you. Um, I don't know what you make of this. Um, Oh, I didn't expect a noise. Um, (laughs) I'm not going to read anything into that. Um, Over the past couple of weeks, um, it has been difficult not to hear about uh, this book, uh, Prince Harry's Uh, autobiography, Spare. But if you haven't, uh, he's written a book and uh, also done a number of TV interviews. And he's given us uh, an inside track on the royal family on some of the things that has happened. Harry has lifted the lid from his perspective on a number of one-to-one events that he claims have happened between himself, between Charles, between William. And it's all rather unpleasant, isn't it? It's unpleasant, and I, I don't like it. I have no idea if it's true or not. Uh, and to be honest, I'm, I'm not really interested. Uh, I just find it very, very sad. I would have loved to have opened uh, a book and read of stories of compassion, of reconciliation, of love, of warmth, of tenderness and hope. But sadly, what we're reading about and hearing about is anger, hurt, pain, and relationship breakdown. And can I just encourage you to do one thing? Um, There will be so much gossip about this. Playgrounds, um, workplaces, papers, TV programs. Uh, We don't need to add to it. What we can add to it is something infinitely better. Uh, We can pray. Can I encourage you to pray for this family, to pray for Charles as he rules, to pray for uh, William on active duty, and pray for Harry himself. I'm really, really conscious that it is Blue Monday tomorrow, supposedly the most depressing day of the year. So can I just take this opportunity right out of the gate to say this? In God's family, there's no such thing as spare. Okay, there's no such thing as spare. If there is anyone in this building, if there is anyone online right now, you're welcome, by the way. If there's anyone watching this in the future as well, who might be thinking that they are not required who might be thinking that they're not needed, that they're spare, you are not. You are absolutely not. You have been handcrafted by the God of the universe, and he loves you more than you'll ever know. And whether that's the first time you've ever heard that or the millionth, I just had to say that this morning ahead of the week that we're going into. Because God doesn't do spare. It's not a thing. I would love to say it's not in the Bible. The word spare is in the Bible. But he doesn't do spare in this context. And how do I know that? Well, I know that because of this book. That's how I know it, because of Jesus in this book. It tells me all about him, and that's why we spend so much time looking at it. Now, whilst the one-to-one conversations in that book are depressing, the one-to-one conversations that we get in John's Gospel are electrifying. Um, If you haven't been with us and you're brand new to us, you can catch up online uh, with where we've been for this. Um, But just here's a quick recap, because we haven't been in John's Gospel since November. Um, And if you're new to us this morning, you just need to know this. There are four Gospels in the Bible at the start of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, and John. They all tell us about Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. Uh, 
Uh, John is the fourth one, and you've noticed I've slightly grouped it sort of separate. I think Nick did that originally, because the first three are what we call the synoptic gospels, because they can be technically seen together, they're very similar. Uh, but John's is, is unique. He, John was Jesus' best friend on earth, and 90% of it is unique. You don't read about this stuff in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, but we learn things about Jesus in this gospel that we only know because Jesus' best friend told us. John saw this with his eyes. He heard this uh, with his ears. Uh, and just like Spare gives us a load of one-to-one interactions, John's gospel, well, the particular thing about it is all these one-to-one uh, encounters. Uh, back in chapter one, I don't have a prop for this, uh, Jesus chatted with Nathaniel, uh, who, was a, who was confused. Uh, and then in chapter two, uh, Jesus' mother is with him at a wedding. She's absolutely, oh, she doesn't know what's going on at the wedding. Uh, John chapter three, Jesus has this uh, Smith and Jones style, late one-to-one style meeting at night. John chapter 4, going from the, uh, Nicodemus, this guy where he's there, uh, Nicodemus is like the ultimate powerful, wealthy, rich inside man. Uh, he then, Jesus then goes to this woman at the well who is the complete opposite. Of, she's the ultimate outsider in many ways. And this morning, we're getting another one-to-one encounter, and it's an incredible encounter as a man who's been an invalid for 38 years gets up and walks. Now, Before we read this passage together, I I need to tell you something. I need to give you a health warning. Um, Yeah, yeah, this passage might make your blood boil. It certainly made mine when I first uh, first read it. I went to see the nurse just before Christmas for a health checkup. I found I had slightly high blood pressure. Um, And I said it it was probably down to stress at work at the time. But actually, the truth is probably, I should have said, I've just read John 5. And I'm really, really cross uh, with everyone in the passage. Now, in the passage, we're about to meet sort of three people. We meet a paralyzed man, we meet some Jewish leaders, and we meet Jesus himself. One of these people um, initially confused me. One of these people, uh, one of the sets, angered me, and one disappointed me. Now, as we read it together, John chapter 5, see if you can work out who is in which category. Uh, So let's read it together. John chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. Uh, I'll put it on screen, uh, but if you've got it in front of you, you can read it there too. Some time later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades porches. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. I'm going to stop there. So that, what we've just read, is verse 3. If you've got a copy in front of you, you'll notice that the next verse is verse 5. The English number system normally goes 3, 4, 5. So something has gone missing. What is going on there? Well, most of the oldest and best manuscripts of copies of this passage um, uh, haven't got verse 4 because many scholars think that it's a a later addition into the passage. We do have verse 4, but it's probably at the bottom of your Bible, or you've got a little button that you can press. And verse 4 says this, From time to time an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool, after each such disturbance, would be cured of whatever disease they had. Now, scholars aren't in entire agreement about this, hence it only being a footnote. Uh, One view is that it might have been, this pool might have been like a thermal spring uh, that bubbled up from time to time, uh, a bit like Lords in France and other pools like that. Uh, Personally, I I think it might be accurate because it does make sense of verse 7 a bit later, but I might be wrong and don't shoot me. Uh, Let's read on, verse 5. Uh, So down by that red bit. One who was there by this pool had been an invalid for 38 years. 
When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I've no one to help me into the pool when the water's stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once, at once, sorry, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can gather together and read these words. We know places in the world can't do that right now. Thank you that we can. In the time we have, Father, please help us to understand more of who Jesus is. Help us to trust him as our king. Help us to worship him as God and to love him as our Lord. Father, thank you so much for what we're about to do. Please help us together to make the most of it and speak to all of us, we pray. Amen. Before we get to those characters, I just want to make two very brief comments that are really, really important, I think. One is about the historicity of this passage and John's gospel in general. And one's about that verse 14 at the end and suffering, because it might be a little confusing. I just want to clarify these two things. Uh, Just on those opening verses, do you see how much geographical detail there is? Geography students, we love it, don't we? So um, we've got in here, Jesus went to Jerusalem um, near the Sheep Gate where there's a pool uh, called Bethesda. There's five covered colonnades. There's lots and lots of details that John gives us. What's interesting about that? Uh, Well, for many years, people thought that John's gospel was fiction written in about 300 AD. And lots of people um, cite passages like John 5 and go, it's just not true. That geography is not reliable. There's no pool near the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem. And there certainly aren't any covered colonnades. It's just, just not true. And that was a real good school of thought. And it was really, really solid. Uh, Well, that was until the uh, the mid-20th century when they found it. Um, And they found the covered colonnades, just as it was said. Uh, Not one of them, they found five of them. They found the pool near the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem. And um, archaeology, rather than unpicking the Bible, is actually a friend of the Bible. And what we're finding is that as we go on and on and on, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. Now, if you are someone who wobbles about the credibility of your Christian faith and the Christian faith in general, please know it's rock solid. Please know that. I know we're under attack, like as Christians, and the numbers are diminishing in our country. This is rock solid, uh, what we're dealing with as well. And secondly, I just want to say this, which is that verse 14, because um, uh, later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Can I just be really clear? Jesus is not saying that anyone who commits a sin will immediately fall ill or suffer in some way as a direct consequence of their sin. That's not what Jesus says. Bad things sometimes happen, and we have no idea why they happen. If I, I'm not going to do this suffering apologetic now, but some things that happen, I have no idea why. But there are some sufferings that happen, and I know why. 
And um, uh, Mike Kane in his book, Real Life Jesus, um, says this. He says, it might be our greed that has landed us in debt or our affair that broke up the family we loved. And it might be that this man in the passage, this guy who was an invalid for 38 years, had been a bandit who'd broken his back during a raid. Now, we don't know. We don't know what's going on here and why this man was an invalid. But what we do know is Jesus is making clear that if the healed man goes back to his old way of life, then something worse may happen. I just wanted to clarify those two things um, because they're really, really important. Let's get to these characters uh, now. So uh, we've had the late night conversation with Nicodemus, the insider. We've had the ultimate outsider. And now we have this invalid in John chapter 5. It's not something that's happened um, recently. We know that's 38 years ago. I'll do the maths for you. 38 years ago is 1985 from today. Um, what were you doing back then? This is a long time, isn't it? Uh, Margaret Thatcher was Prime Minister in 1985. Huey Lewis and the News were top of the music charts. And Back to the Future 1 was in the cinema. And that's how long ago this was. It's a long time ago. I was at nursery. Um, I, I was, don't laugh. Um, it's an amazing one-to-one encounter and it's an incredible tra- transformation. Je- Jesus heals someone who has been an invalid for 38 years. They can throw these away. How could I possibly not like this passage? How could I be angered or upset or confused by this passage? Clarification, I love this passage. And it, it's amazing. I, I love the fact that Jesus um, has power over, over sickness and death. Jesus goes to this place as well. Don't you love that? He could have gone through any gate. I don't know why he went through the sheep gate, but he did. He went, he went near this place. He went with the least, the last, and the lost. And he hung around with his people and he healed them. It's brilliant. But I am confused. I am slightly angered and I'm slightly disappointed. Here's my three things. See, Jesus confused me initially. Jesus, once you look into it, is always brilliant. We'll come to that in a second. Um, the Jewish leaders just had a ridiculous take on these events. And the paralyzed man, I think, had a really disappointing response. For 38 years, this man has been on his mat and he has been an invalid. Uh, He's been there 38 years. I don't know if in that position for 38 years, but he's been there. Jesus comes along and he says this, do you want to get well? Um, When you go to the doctor or the nurse, uh, and I know we've got a lot of medics in here, I don't think that the training is, first question, do you want to get well? I don't think that happens. Um, it seems a pretty strange question, but it's not a strange question at all. After the initial confusion, it, it's not. Far from being strange or, or even insensi- insensitive, Jesus always asks the best questions. Why does Jesus always ask the best questions? Because Jesus understands humanity better than anybody else. So if we ever get confused by Jesus, don't run away. We press in and we, we dig in and have a look. And if Jesus is asking this question, then however obvious we might think the answer is, Jesus knows so much better than we do. The truth is this, that not everyone wants to get better. They don't. Now, verse, uh, not everyone wants things to change. Verse 3 tells us this, who's at this scene. There's a number of disabled people there, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. There's probably others as well. But believe it or not, I'm not sure that everyone there would have wanted to get better. Now, that may seem a bit strange, but I think some may have stationed themselves there because they were lonely and they wanted some company. Some would have placed themselves there because they wanted some sympathy. Others would be there for handout. The Jewish leaders are, in many ways, but they were really good at making people, uh, encouraging people to be charitable. So it would have been placed where they'd have got mon- money from people. It's unlikely that everyone who was situationed there 
uh, is there to get healed because healing would mean change. And we all love change, don't we? Change is not something we all like. Don't get me wrong, the man probably wanted his situation to change. But after 38 years, it would have meant changing everything, wouldn't it? He probably had come to a place where he had a degree of comfort. He knew his spot. He knew where to go. Um, He probably had regular people who gave him money. Uh, He had no working responsibility. Uh, It wouldn't have been like being outside in Exeter. The Jerusalem climate's quite nice. Um, He probably had some comfort. And for the best part of 38 years, he knew what he could do. He knew what he couldn't do. He knew everything about his life. He knew how to cope, where to find help. And if he got healed, then everything would change. Would he want that? The theologian Tom Wright Um, suggests that Jesus' question is actually this question. Do you really want to change, or are you now quite happy to eke out your days lounging around here with the feeble excuse that someone else always gets in the pool first? Now, you might think that's harsh. Look at the very next verse. Does the paralyzed man answer the question? No, he doesn't. It's a straightforward yes or no question. Do you want to get well? Yes. Well, I can't get down into the pool. The pool. I'm not, someone doesn't take And he doesn't answer the question. And it's really quite a sad interaction. The man thinks he knows how to get healed. I'm pointing at that because I know that's the baptistry. He thinks that he, he goes out to get healed in the pool. But he doesn't. He doesn't really want to get healed. Now, it's January the 15th, so your New Year's resolutions may still be going strong, if you make any. Um, 80% usually fail by February, 92% fail by the end of the year. Why do they fail? Why do they fail? Well, I'll tell you why they don't. It's not a reason they fail. It's from a lack of knowledge. So people at the start of the year give up alcohol, they give up smoking, uh, they try and exercise more. Uh, lots of people go and Christians try and go, I'm going to read the Bible in a year. And then by January the 15th, they're going, I'm on January the 7th. Um, and, and, and we go behind. But we all know how to do those things. How many books are there on giving up alcohol, uh, smoking, various attachments? How many gyms are there? Um, how many Bible apps are there now? We know how to do it. It's not the how-to that this, the issue, is it? It's the want-to. Resolutions fail because ultimately people just don't want enough to change enough. Now, whatever that reason is, it might be fear. That's tragic. It might be a lack of desire. It might be a lack of determination or another reason. The man in the was paralyzed in John 5, I have no idea, but it looks like he doesn't necessarily want to change. And often people can wallow in, in whatever challenges that they're facing, I don't have anyone to take me to the pool. That's, that's quite hard, isn't it? But it's true in the 21st century, I think. In whatever challenges we're all facing, and we, we, we sort of say, don't we, we want them to change. But, but do we want them to change? If you're someone who is facing something really, really difficult now, and you want, them to ch- want it to change, we as a church family will come, even if you don't want to, we'll still do it, but if you want to, we'll come alongside you. And we will help you in whatever challenge that you're facing. And what we'll also do is point you to that man who also changes everything as well. Jesus' question, however confusing it seems, is not that confusing. As ever, from Jesus, it's just an absolute laser. And uh, after avoiding the, the answer to the question, Jesus just takes, he kicks this passage into another gear, doesn't he? You hear like, music playing in the background, verses 8 and 9. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk at once, at once. 
the man got up and was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. There's no queuing. There's no physio. There's no rehab. There's no warm-up. There's no nothing. It's just straight-blown healing in a matter of seconds. It's a full-on miracle. And that's the most amazing verses, aren't they? How powerful is Jesus? You can just change something after 38 years. Now, if verses 8 and 9 are brilliant, then verse 10 might be one of the most maddening verses in the Bible. Have a look at this. The people in the passage that really irritate me, you've got it. The Jewish leaders, wow. God, I need to calm now. Here comes verse 10. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who'd been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Wow. That is, someone has just got up and walked after 38 years. I'm not, you know you've got a problem when you see a healing and you go, oh, excuse me, was it done correctly? Um, no. It's just an amazing, isn't it? I, I can't help but picture a clipboard, you know, those glasses that are half rim looking over them and a piece of paper. Oh, was it done right? No. What are you doing? Um, they should have been saying, wow, but no, they're going, whoa, 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 let's check the small print. It's ridiculous response, isn't it? And you need to know this, they're wrong. They're wrong. It does not forbid, the Bible doesn't say that you cannot pick up your mat on a Sabbath. Many of you will know the principle of Sabbath rest, the idea that God gives the world in his infinite wisdom, this rhythm to life, uh, uh, to have a day each week to rest. It's a principle God's given us, and just like anything God gives us, it's good, and we should follow it. Unfortunately, the Jewish leaders had um, has just added millions of details to this principle and it had got completely out of hand and taken it from its original purpose. And taking, uh, keeping the Sabbath day holy from the, the Ten Commandments, uh, they'd added 39 classifications of work. Some are, there's loads of them that are ridiculous. I wish I could share them, but I'm going to run out of time. But um, here's one. Uh, where are we? There we are. If anyone carries anything from a public place to a private house on the Sabbath intentionally, he is punishable by death by stoning. That's just ridiculous. There was a God's principle, and how have you turned it into that? They took God's principle and they knocked it into a different postcode. And it's unbelievable what they did. When Jesus does something great, you celebrate it. You don't scrutinize it. When God gives you a principle, honor it. Don't change it. So here we are. The Jewish, Jesus' confusing question is brilliant. The Jewish leader is just ridiculous. They should have gone, wow. But believe it or not, the sadness doesn't end there. This may be controversial. Believe it or not, I'm not very happy with the paralysed man. Now, you may think that this is outrageous, but can you just hear me out before you throw something at me? Um, Putting aside what happened before the paralysed man was healed, when he didn't answer that question, look at the paralysed man after the healing. Uh, Verse 13, uh, the man um, who has been healed hasn't found out Jesus' name. He doesn't know who he is. If someone has done something amazing for you, surely the least you should do is find out their name, I would have thought. Uh, A few years ago, I had an an orthoscopy. My right knee was playing up. And afterwards, uh, I was trying to get back to playing to football again. And it was taking a really, really long time. And so I uh, went to see a a physio, a brilliant physio. And uh, uh, she helped me out. And as long as I do my stretches, I can play every week. I say play, I mean, let's do that. Um, I I can do it. Now, it won't surprise you that I know the the name of this physio who healed me. 
Uh, I know who she is. Many of you will know her. She's called Sarah, and she's brilliant. So good, in fact, that I recommended her to Sam, wherever Sam is. I've recommended to other people, and I've gone, yes, um, this, this is great. What I didn't do, I didn't go to the Physiotherapy Association and go and tell her bad things about her. I didn't do that. But just look in this passage. When asked by the Jewish leaders about picking up his mat and walking, the healed man said, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. The man. The man, rather than telling everyone about Jesus, he doesn't know who he is, and he's almost like he's blaming him for getting him to pick up the mat. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't me. It was, it was, that, it was that guy over there. And it's, it's quite strange. Now, you may think, I'm, I've, you, you, you're turning this a bit, but if you're not with me, there's another encounter. So after verse 13, uh, later it says that the man meets Jesus again. And in verse 15, it tells us this. The man went away after the second encounter with Jesus and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Now, the man, that conversation, I don't know what it was. That conversation may be the man going, Jesus is amazing. He's really, really amazing. But my just hunches from both these one-to-ones, he's actually handing Jesus over to them, isn't he? That's what it looks like. I don't want to really be in trouble for picking up the mat, so I'm going to tell you it was, it was Jesus. Now, Jesus healed this man's suffering. Looks like this man might have started Jesus' suffering. Jesus um, helped this man. This man looks like he hurts Jesus. Jesus has ended this man's physical suffering. And it looks like Jesus might have start, this man might have started Jesus' suffering. How do I know that? This is outside my passage in for Simon next week. But verse 16, which we haven't read, said this. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. Now, this one-to-one encounter and the persecution that starts, um, it ultimately ends here. We've, we've just started on this road now in John's Gospel. John 5.16 is our first kind of indication that this is where we are, we are heading to. So just as we kind of come to the end of this section and, and the end of these three things, I just want us to think about how we respond uh, to Jesus, because we can respond um, in one of these three ways. Uh, we can respond like, um, like Nicodemus, who, who was a bit scared of being a public follower of Jesus, and came to him in the dark, and he went away in the dark. Eventually he got it, you'll see at the end of John's Gospel, but we could be like that. We could, when we leave this place, we can just go and hide. We could be like this woman, who is amazing, she's amazing, the woman at the well, who when, she's, when she meets Jesus, she then runs off and she tells, you've got to know about Jesus. Jesus loves you. Jesus knows you. Jesus is powerful. Jesus is the coming Messiah. Je- Jesus. Or you could be like this man. This man who is healed by Jesus. But then rather than sticking up for Jesus, actually it seems like he ends up in triggering persecution. For that man, Jesus is worth everything you're afraid of. Of losing, and for the paralyzed man as well. Which one are we going to be? That's our question. Uh, earlier, I mentioned New Year's resolutions. You may like them, you may hate them. I've got one to suggest for everyone today. Absolutely everyone in this room. Uh, and my promise to you is this this will draw you in if you're not drawn in by New Year's resolutions. If you stick to this one, you're going to have the best year ever. Oh, yeah, you're back in the room, thanks. Um, That's quite a claim. Um, You may disagree, but I think so. This is Robert Murray McShane. He was a Scottish minister 
who lived in the 19th century and was most known for his annual Bible reading plan. In a letter he wrote to his friend George, he said this, For every look that you give to yourself, you should give ten looks to Jesus. For every look that you give to yourself, you should give ten looks to Jesus. It's my belief that if you do that, you will have the best year ever. Now, hear that, please don't mishear that. You won't necessarily be better off financially. You will not avoid hurt, pain, and loss. Uh, you will not necessarily be better off in any other ways, but you will have the best year ever because you will be more like the person that you were created to be. For every one luck you give to yourself, you should give 10 looks to Jesus. The paralyzed man was looking in the wrong place. He was looking at the pool and he should have looked at the person. When you look at Jesus, things change. Hebrews 12, fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't wallow and moan and look, look to Jesus. Jesus was always where it's at and it's, he's still always where it's at. The band are going to come back now. But you're not going to be surprised by these words, are you? Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And what happens when you do that? The things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's do that. Let's not look at the pool. Let's look at the person. And 2023 will be the greatest year ever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus Thank you that he, that he associates with the least, the last, and the lost. Thank you that he went to this place. I, it just feels like most powerful people would avoid it, but not Jesus. Thank you that he took 38 years and he transformed it. Father, help us to realize that Jesus is Lord, that he is powerful over sickness and death. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Father, we don't want to persecute Jesus because he's brilliant. Help us to follow Jesus. We want to be more like that woman at the well who went and praised him and praised him and told everyone. Heavenly Father, in 2023, we want to, whenever we're looking at ourselves, we want to follow it up with 10 looks at Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you for him. And as we sing together now, we put our eyes on him, we focus on him, and we ask you, uh, to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Father, we hope to look back at the end of this year and go, wow, wow, this year is a change because we've been looking more at Jesus. In his lovely name we pray. Amen.